Section 8 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5, by Alexander Dumas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Denham. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5, by Alexander Dumas. Section 8. Whether it was that the strength of youth fought against the poison, or that Derues took pleasure in watching the sufferings of his victim, the agony of the poor lad was prolonged until the fourth day. The sickness continuing incessantly, he sent the cooper's wife for a medicine which he prepared and administered himself. It produced terrible pain and Edouard's cries brought the cooper and his wife upstairs. They represented to Duroux that he ought to call in a doctor and consult with him, but he refused decidedly, saying that a doctor hastily fetched might prove to be an ignorant person with whom he could not agree, and that he could not allow one so dear to him to be prescribed for and nursed by any one but himself. "'I know what the malady is,' he continued, raising his eyes to heaven. "'It is one that has to be concealed rather than acknowledged. "'Poor youth, whom I love as my own son, "'if God, touched by my tears and thy suffering, "'permits me to save thee, "'thy whole life will be too short for thy blessings and thy gratitude.' "'And as Madame Martin asked what this malady might be, he answered with hypocritical blushes, "'Do not ask, madame. There are things of which you do not know even the name.' At another time, Martin expressed his surprise that the young man's mother had not yet appeared, who, according to Derou, was to have met him at Versailles. He asked how she could know that they were lodging in his house and if he should send to meet her at any place where she was likely to arrive. "'His mother,' said Derues, looking compassionately at Edouard, who lay pale, motionless, and as if insensible, "'his mother! He calls for her incessantly. Ah, monsieur, some families are greatly to be pitied. My entreaties prevailed on her to decide on coming hither. But will she keep her promise?' Do not ask me to tell you more. It is too painful to have to accuse a mother of having forgotten her duties in the presence of her son. There are secrets which ought not to be told. Unhappy woman! Edouard moved, extended his arms, and repeated, Mother! Mother! Derues hastened to his side, and took his hands in his as if to warm them. "'My mother,' the youth repeated, "'why have I not seen her? She was to have met me.' "'You shall soon see her, dear boy. Only keep quiet.' "'But just now I thought she was dead.' "'Dead?' cried Derou. "'Drive away these sad thoughts. They are caused by the fever only.' "'No, oh no! I, I heard a secret voice which said, "'Thy mother is dead.' and then I beheld a livid corpse before me. It was she! 
I knew her well, and she seemed to have suffered so much. Dear boy, your mother is not dead. My God, what terrible chimeras you conjure up. You will see her again, I assure you. She has arrived already. Is it not so, madame? he asked, turning towards the Martins, who were both leaning against the foot of the bed, and signing to them to support this pious falsehood, in order to calm the young man. Did she not arrive and come to his bedside and kiss him while he slept? And she will soon come again? Yes, yes, said Madame Martin, wiping her eyes, and she begged my husband and me to help your uncle to take great care of you. The youth moved again, and looking round him with a dazed expression, said, "'My uncle?' "'You had better go,' said Derou, in a whisper to the Martins. "'I am afraid he is delirious again. I will prepare a draught, which will give him a little rest and sleep.' "'Adieu, then, adieu,' answered Madame Martin, "'and may heaven bless you for the care you bestow on this poor young man.' On Friday evening, violent vomiting appeared to have benefited the sufferer. He had rejected most of the poison, and had a fairly quiet night. But on the Saturday morning, Derues sent the cooper's little girl to buy more medicine, which he prepared himself like the first. The day was horrible, and about six in the evening, seeing his victim was at the last gasp, he opened a little window overlooking the shop, and summoned the cooper, requesting him to go at once for a priest. When the latter arrived, he found Derou in tears, kneeling at the dying boy's bedside. And now, by the light of two tapers placed on a table, flanking the holy water-stoop, there began what on one side was an abominable and sacrilegious comedy— a disgraceful parody of that which Christians consider most sacred and most dear. On the other, a pious and consoling ceremony. The cooper and his wife, their eyes bathed in tears, knelt in the middle of the room, murmuring such prayers as they could remember. Derouge gave up his place to the priest, but as Edouard did not answer the latter's questions, he approached the bed, and, bending over the sufferer, exhorted him to confession. "'Dear boy,' he said, "'take courage. Your sufferings here will be counted to you above. God will weigh them in the scales of his infinite mercy. Listen to the words of his holy minister. Cast your sins into his bosom, and obtain from him forgiveness for your faults.' "'I am in such terrible pain cried edouard water water extinguish the fire which consumes me a violent fit came on succeeded by exhaustion and the death rattle derouge fell on his knees and the priest administered extreme unction there was then a moment of absolute silence more impressive than cries and sobs. The priest collected himself for a moment, crossed himself, and began to pray. Derou 
also crossed himself, and repeated in a low voice, apparently choked by grief, "'Go forth, O Christian soul, from this world, in the name of God the Father Almighty, who created thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who suffered for thee, in the name of the Holy Ghost, who was poured out upon thee.' The youth struggled in his bed, and a convulsive movement agitated his limbs. Derouque continued, "'When thy soul departs from this body, may it be admitted to the holy mountain of Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the numerous company of angels, and to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Mother! My mother!' cried Edouard. Derouque resumed, "'Let God arise!' and let the powers of darkness be dispersed. Let the spirits of evil who reign over the air be put to flight. Let them not dare to attack a soul redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen, responded the priest and the Martins. There was another silence, broken only by the stifled sobs of Derouque. The priest again crossed himself and took up the prayer. "'We beseech thee, O beloved and only Son of God, by the merits of thy sacred passion, thy cross and thy death, to deliver this thy servant from the pains of hell, and to lead him to that happy place whither thou didst vouchsafe to lead the thief, who with thee was bound upon the cross. Thou who art God, living and reigning with the Father and the Holy Ghost.' "'Amen!' repeated those present. Derouque now took up the prayer, and his voice mingled with the dying gasps of the sufferer, "'And there was a darkness over all the earth. "'To thee, O Lord, we commend the soul of this thy servant, "'that being dead to the world he may live to thee, "'and the sins he hath committed through the frailty of his mortal nature,' Do thou in thy most merciful goodness forgive and wash away. Amen. After which all present sprinkled holy water on the body. When the priest had retired, shown out by Madame Martin, Derouille said to her husband, this unfortunate young man has died without the consolation of beholding his mother. His last thought was for her. There now remains the last duty, a very painful one to accomplish, but my poor nephew imposed it on me. A few hours ago, feeling that his end was near, he asked me, as a last mark of friendship, not to entrust these final duties to the hands of strangers. While he applied himself to the necessary work in presence of the cooper, who was much affected by the sight of such sincere and profound affliction, Derouille added, sighing, "'Ah! I shall always grieve for this dear boy. Alas! that evil living should have caused his early death!' When he had finished laying out the body, he threw some little packets into the fire which he professed to have found in the youth's pockets, telling Martin, in order to support this assertion, 
that they contained drugs suitable to this disgraceful malady. He spent the night in the room with the corpse, as he had done in the case of Madame de la Motte, and the next day, Sunday, he sent Martin to the parish church of Saint-Louis to arrange for a funeral of the simplest kind, telling him to fill up the certificate in the name of Beaupre, born at Commercy in Lorraine. He declined himself either to go to the church or to appear at the funeral, saying that his grief was too great. Martin, returning from the funeral, found him encaged in prayer. Derouge gave him the dead youth's clothes, and departed, leaving some money to be given to the poor of the parish, and for masses to be said for the repose of the soul of the dead. He arrived at home in the evening, found his wife entertaining some friends, and told them he had just come from Chartres, where he had been summoned on business. Everyone noticed his unusual air of satisfaction, and he sang several songs during supper. Having accomplished these two crimes, Derouge did not remain idle. When the murderer's part of his nature was at rest, the thief reappeared. His extreme avarice now made him regret the expense caused by the deaths of Madame de la Motte and her son, and he wished to recoup himself. Two days after his return from Versailles, he ventured to present himself at Edouard's school. He told the master that he had received a letter from Madame de la Motte, saying that she wished to keep her son, and asked him to obtain Edouard's belongings. The schoolmaster's wife, who was present, replied that that could not be, that Monsieur de la Motte would have known of his wife's intention, that she would not have taken such a step without consulting him, and that only the evening before they had received a present of game from Buisson Sueff, with a letter in which Monsieur de la Motte entreated them to take great care of his son. "'If what you say is true,' she continued, "'Madame de la Motte is no doubt acting on your advice in taking away her son. "'But I will write to Buisson.' "'You had better not do anything in the matter,' said Derouge, turning to the schoolmaster. "'It is quite possible that Monsieur de la Motte does not know. "'I am aware that his wife does not always consult him. "'She is at Versailles, where I took Edouard to her, "'and I will inform her of your objection.' To ensure impunity for these murders, Derouge had resolved on the death of Monsieur de la Motte but before executing this last crime he wished for some proof of the recent pretended agreements between himself and Madame de la Motte. He would not wait for the disappearance of the whole family before presenting himself as the lawful proprietor of buisson Sueff. Prudence required him to shelter himself behind a deed which should have been executed by that lady. On February 27th, he appeared at the office of Madame de la Motte's lawyer in the Rue du Pain, and with all the persuasion of an artful rogue, demanded the power of attorney on that lady's behalf, saying that he had, by private contract, 
just paid a hundred thousand livres on the total amount of purchase, which money was now deposited with the notary. The lawyer, much astonished that an affair of such importance should have been arranged without any reference to himself, refused to give up the deed to any one but Monsieur or Madame de la Motte, and inquired why the latter did not appear herself. Derues replied that she was at Versailles, and that he was to send the deed to her there. He repeated his request, and the lawyer his refusal, until Derues retired, saying he would find means to compel him to give up the deed. He actually did, the same day, present a petition to the civil authority, in which Cyrano de Rue de Bury sets forth arrangements made with Madame de la Motte, founded on the deed given by her husband, and requires permission to seize and withdraw said deed from the custody in which it remains at present. The petition is granted. The lawyer objects that he can only give up the deed to either Monsieur or Madame de la Motte, unless he be otherwise ordered. Derue has the effrontery to again appeal to the civil authority, but for the reasons given by that public officer, the affair is adjourned. These two futile efforts might have compromised Derue had they been heard of at Buisson Sueff, but everything seemed to conspire in the criminal's favour. Neither the schoolmaster's wife nor the lawyer thought of writing to Monsieur de la Motte. The latter, as yet unsuspecting, was tormented by other anxieties, and kept at home by illness. In these days distance is shortened, and one can travel from Villeneuve-le-Roi-de-Laissance to Paris in a few hours. This was not the case in 1777, when private industry and activity, stifled by routine and privilege, had not yet experienced the need of providing the means for rapid communication. Half a day was required to go from the capital to Versailles. A journey of twenty leagues required at least two days and a night, and bristled with obstacles and delays of all kinds. These difficulties of transport, still greater during bad weather, and a long and serious attack of gout, explain why Monsieur de la Motte, who was so ready to take alarm, had remained separated from his wife from the middle of December to the end of February. He had received reassuring letters from her, written at first with freedom and simplicity, but he thought he noticed a gradual change in the later ones, which appeared to proceed more from the mind than the heart. A style which aimed at being natural was interspersed with unnecessary expressions of affection, unusual between married people well assured of their mutual love. Monsieur de Lamotte observed and exaggerated these peculiarities, and though endeavouring to persuade himself that he was mistaken, he could not forget them or regain his usual tranquillity. Being somewhat ashamed of his anxiety, he kept his fears to himself. One morning, as he was sunk in a large armchair by the fire, his sitting-room door opened and a curé entered, who was surprised by his despondent, sad and pale appearance. 
"'What is the matter?' he inquired. "'Have you had an extra bad night?' "'Yes,' answered Monsieur de Lamotte. "'Well, have you any news from Paris?' "'Nothing, for a whole week. "'It is odd, is it not? "'I am always hoping that this sale may fall through. "'It drags on for so very long, "'and I believe that Monsieur de Roux, "'in spite of what your wife wrote a month ago, "'has not as much money as he pretends to have. "'Do you know that it is said that Monsieur Depenne du Plessis, "'Madame de Roux's relative, whose money they inherited, "'was assassinated?' "'Where did you hear that?' "'It is a common report in the country, and was brought here by a man who came recently from Beauvais.' "'Have the murderers been discovered?' "'Apparently not. Justice seems unable to discover anything at all.' Monsieur de Lamotte hung his head, and his countenance assumed an expression of painful thought, as though this news affected him personally. "'Frankly,' resumed the curé, "'I believe you will remain Seigneur du Buisson-Sueff, "'and that I shall be spared the pain of writing another name over your seat in the church of Villeneuve. "'The affair must be settled in a few days, for I can wait no longer. "'If the purchaser be not Monsieur de Roux, it will have to be someone else.' "'What makes you think he is short of money?' "'Oh, oh!' said the curé. "'A man who has money either pays his debts or is a cheat. "'Now heaven preserve me from suspecting Monsieur de Roux's honesty. "'What do you know about him?' "'Do you remember Brother Marchois of the Calmaldulians, "'who came to see me last spring, "'and who was here the day Monsieur de Roux arrived with your wife and Edouard?' "'Perfectly.' "'Well?' "'Well, I happened to tell him in one of my letters that Monsieur de Roux had become the purchaser of Buisson-Sueff, and that I believed the arrangements were concluded. Thereupon Brother Marchois wrote asking me to remind him that he owes them a sum of eight hundred livres, and that so far they have not seen a penny of it.' "'Ah!' said Monsieur de Lamotte, Perhaps I should have done better not to let myself be deluded by his fine promises. He certainly has money on his tongue, and when once one begins to listen to him, one can't help doing what he wants. All the same, I had rather have had to deal with someone else. And is it this which worries you and makes you seem so anxious? This, and other things. What, then? I am really ashamed to own it, but I am as credulous and timid as any old woman. Now do not laugh at me too much. Do you believe in dreams? Monsieur, said the curé, smiling, you should never ask a coward whether he is afraid. You only risk his telling a lie. He will say no, but he means yes. And are you a coward, my father?' "'A little. I don't precisely believe all the nursery tales are in the favourable or unfavourable meaning of some object seen during our sleep, but—' uh, A sound of steps interrupted them. A servant entered, announcing Monsieur de Roux. 
On hearing the name, Monsieur de Lamotte felt troubled in spite of himself, but overcoming the impression, he rose to meet the visitor. "'You had better stay,' he said to the curé, who was also rising to take leave. "'Stay. We have probably nothing to say which cannot be said before you.' Duroux entered the room, and after the usual compliments, sat down by the fire opposite Monsieur de Lamotte. "'You did not expect me,' he said, "'and I ought to apologise for surprising you thus. "'Give me some news of my wife,' asked Monsieur de Lamotte anxiously. "'She has never been better. "'Your son is also to perfect health.' "'But why are you alone? "'Why does not Marie accompany you? "'It is ten weeks since she went to Paris.' "'She has not yet quite finished the business with which you entrusted her. Perhaps I am partly the cause of this long absence, but one cannot transact business as quickly as one would wish. But you have no doubt heard from her that all is finished, or nearly so, between us. We have drawn up a second private contract, which annuls the former agreement, and I have paid over a sum of one hundred thousand livres. "'I do not comprehend,' said Monsieur de Lamotte. "'What can induce my wife not to inform me of this?' "'You did not know?' "'I know nothing. "'I was wondering just now with Monsieur le Curé "'why I did not hear from her.' "'Madame de Lamotte was going to write to you, "'and I do not know what can have hindered her.' "'When did you leave her?' "'Several days ago.' I have not been at Paris. I am returning from Chartres. I believed you were informed of everything. Monsieur de Lamotte remained silent for some moments. Then, fixing his eyes upon Derues' immovable countenance, he said with some emotion, You are a husband and father, sir, in the name of this double and sacred affection which is not unknown to you. Do not hide anything from me. I fear some misfortune has happened to my wife, which you are concealing. Derues' physiognomy expressed nothing but a perfectly natural astonishment. What can have suggested such ideas to you, dear sir? In saying this, he glanced at the curé, wishing to ascertain if this distrust was Monsieur de Lamotte's own idea, or had been suggested to him. The movement was so rapid that neither of the others observed it. Like all knaves obliged by their actions to be continually on the watch, Derues possessed, to a remarkable extent, the art of seeing all round him, without appearing to observe anything in particular. He decided that as yet he had only to combat a suspicion unfounded on proof, and he waited till he should be attacked more seriously. "'I do not know,' he said, "'what may have happened during my absence. Pray explain yourself, for you are making me share your disquietude.' "'Yes, I am exceedingly anxious. I entreat you, tell me the whole truth. 
explain this silence and this absence prolonged beyond all expectation. You finished your business with Madame de Lamotte several days ago. Once again, why did she not write? There is no letter either from her or my son. Tomorrow I shall send someone to Paris. Good heavens, answered Derou. Is there nothing but an accident which could cause this delay? Well, then, he continued, with the embarrassed look of a man compelled to betray a confidence, well, then, I see that in order to reassure you, I shall have to give up a secret entrusted to me. He then told Monsieur de Lamotte that his wife was no longer at Paris, but at Versailles, where she was endeavouring to obtain an important and lucrative appointment, and that if she had left him in ignorance of her efforts in this direction, it was only to give him an agreeable surprise. He added that she had removed her son from the school, and hoped to place him either in the riding-school or amongst the royal pages. To prove his words, he opened his paper-case, and produced the letter written by Edouard in answer to the one quoted above. End of section 8 Reading by Tom Denham